here, believe it or not. It is wild to consider that 2024 is just about here. And as we come to this season, as we've already heard this morning in our prayers, as we've talked, and I'm sure as you're thinking, our minds are drawn to what may come in this coming year. Birthdays, anniversaries, maybe new <coughs> new jobs, new children, new resolutions, new changes, new houses, all kinds of exciting and new things as we consider our own plans and what we want and what we desire. I'm sure Adam has a list of new books he wants to read this year. It's exciting to consider what we want and what we want to strive for this year. But it's also perhaps an anxious time. As Brian prayed, it can be a time of anxiety, worry. After all, we don't know our life as the scriptures tell us. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. Our lives are a vapor. We don't know what the future holds for us specifically. We have hopes and dreams and worries and fears. But we do know some things the future holds. I can tell you with all the certainty of an Old Testament prophet that you will have trouble this year. It is 100% guaranteed. You might not know the specific form it will take. It might be illness or injury, loss, poverty, rejection, frustration, toil, or likely some combination of all of these things and more in varying degrees. But it is coming. As we look back over this past year, as I consider this past year, January 1st of 2023, I could not have imagined what the year held for me, for us. And this year is the same. We don't know. But we know there will be trouble. And how do we deal with the trouble that is coming and what is our relationship to trouble? And that's why I chose one of my favorite texts on trouble for this morning, Job 5, verses 6 through 7. Let's read the text this morning. <coughs> for affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. The grass withers and the flowers fall, flower falls, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for bringing us to this time, and as we eagerly look forward to this new year, we pray that you would bless us and help us and prepare us, Lord, as we consider what trouble means and the trouble you have in store for us. Lord, strengthen our hearts, grow our faith. Lord, may we may meet it um, with bold confidence in your goodness and your grace. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The book of Job is a very precious book. Uh, it's been a great source of comfort for me personally, and Christians throughout this millennia have turned to this book in the midst of trials and tribulation and troubles for comfort. Though at times we may tend to gravitate towards the beginning and end of Job, and rightly so, it's a very rich and interesting book, especially in the beginning and towards the end. In the beginning we see Job and his family we see Satan and the Lord discussing things and God throwing Job's name into the ring and the test of his faith through Satan's trials. Job loses everything but clings to the Lord. And who can forget his beautiful confession of faith in the midst of his loss? The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And of course, the end has God and Job discussing suffering and God essentially telling Job to trust him and that God is supreme in wisdom and knowledge, and that's 
enough for Job, even if he doesn't understand why. Uh, very interesting book. But the middle chapters of Job might be a little less well-known. Between God and Satan and God and Job talking, we have many chapters of Job discussing suffering and theology with his friends. And his, ref- uh, his friends, at the end, are rebuked for speaking wrongly of God. Their speeches throughout are laced through with errors and mistakes and false assumptions, but not entirely. As we look through their speeches and read through them, we find that Job's friends are, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, like us, fallen and sinful people who are trying their best to understand God and suffering and the world. And some of what they say is true, just as some of what we say is true. Though it might be said at the wrong time or in the wrong context or with the wrong assumptions. And our text this morning comes from the words of Eliphaz the Temanite. He says something here that I believe is true and helpful. Especially as we come to this time of thinking about the new year. And especially as we look at the, the rest of scripture. I believe what he says here is some one of those true things. As I mentioned you will have trouble this year. Likely great trouble. Though we may shy away from such dark thoughts, we will likely encounter big and terrible things in the coming year. And if not, surely you'll have smaller but still awful things, pains and aches, hardships. You have no choice in that. As Eliphaz says, and we'll discuss, it's as inevitable as sparks flying upwards. But you will have a choice regarding trouble, one choice. You can choose this year to create trouble. Bad trouble or good trouble. And you can have comfort in the midst of all of your trouble. So my theme this morning, very simply, is you will have trouble this year and you ought to make trouble this year, but the Lord is with us in both. So I want to look this morning at the cause of trouble, the creation of trouble, and the comfort in trouble. So firstly, let's look at the cause of trouble. Eliphaz says, affliction does not come from the dust, nor does it sprout from the ground, but man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. And I love the imagery and implications of this verse. Eliphaz is rightly striking out against the idea that suffering is random. And he's 100% right in that. Suffering is not random. It doesn't just come from the dust or sprout from the ground randomly. When we encounter trouble, it can be tempting at times to think and to buy into the lie that it is meaningless and random. That's what the atheistic mindset that pervades some of our culture wants us to think and feel, that there's no meaning or purpose in suffering, that's all just cold, indifferent, and random. But we serve a God who is sovereign and in control of all things, including trouble. Not only is he sovereign and in control, he works all things according to the purpose of his will for our good and his glory. No, Eliphaz is right. Trouble does not come randomly. Rather, it has a cause and obeys specific laws. The sparks fly upward because there's a fire. Because of the laws of the universe that God has made, it's the natural course of things in this world. (coughs) So where do our troubles come from? What is their cause and what is their fire, so to speak? Well, there's a few different answers to that. In one sense, our troubles are caused by sin. We can go back to the garden and Adam and Eve sinning. Sin earns for us trouble. 
Adam and Eve were kicked out of paradise into the wild. Death, that curse, entered the world. And likewise today, sin causes trouble. Part of why God gives us law and commands and guidance in his word is that we might avoid the trouble of sin. If I give in to the sin of anger and wrath and snap at someone, I'll reap the troublesome consequences of damaged relationships and bad decisions. Sin has consequences, and often the consequences are trouble. So that's one cause. Our troubles, in another way, are caused by the curse. We live in a world cursed by God because of sin. Adam is told that thorns will infest the ground and his work will be toilsome and troublesome even when we don't sin. There are parts of this fallen and cursed world that cause trouble. Our bodies break down. Our work frustrates. Our communication is misunderstood and more. Even when we're pure in our motives and pure in our actions, there can still be trouble because we live in a cursed and fallen world. In another sense, our troubles are caused by Satan. That's certainly the case for Job. Satan is the one who sends the whirlwind that takes his children and the fire that burns his flocks and the the disease that strikes his flesh. And even today, Peter tells us, Satan roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He and his host are actively engaged with us in warfare, seeking to kill and steal and destroy, bringing trouble to us. But in a more ultimate sense, our troubles come from the Lord. When we, ins- when we sin, we incur trouble with God. The curse is given by God. Satan can do nothing to Job until God allows him to do so. All things are under his control, including trouble. One of the most precious verses for me this past year and all my own struggles has been Isaiah 45, 6-7, where God says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create calamity. I'm sorry, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. The Lord Jesus knew this in John chapter 12, verses 27 through 28. He says, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He says, no, I've come to this hour. This is what God wants He knew the cross was coming. He knew trouble was coming. And all of that was God's good and divine plan for him and gloriously, graciously for us. We sang about this morning, nothing but his blood. The trouble he underwent was from God and for our good. Whether it's sin or the curse because of the enemy or because uh, from the Lord, Trouble is as inevitable as sparks flying upwards for us. It's just part of our life here. You will have troubles this coming year, but they are not random. They are coming, but they are not random. You will receive troubles in this life, but we're not only called to endure trouble, but to create trouble ourselves. Trouble is endemic to our existence, including causing trouble. As many of you know, I've recently become the parent of a four- and seven-year-old, and I am learning much about troublemaking lately. (sighs) Sorry, Lily. Y'all are great. But there's a lot of trouble lately, just this morning, even. Anger, hitting each other, complaining. But not all bad trouble. There's good trouble, too. There's two kinds of trouble we can make. There's an interesting epitaph given to 
in the Old Testament to two people, a kind of title that's only ever used twice of two very different men. The title is Troubler of Israel, someone causing trouble for all God's people. And the men called this are Achan and the prophet Elijah. Do you remember your Old Testament? Achan was a man of the tribe of Judah who rebelled against God's commands to take nothing from the destruction of Jericho. He saw a nice cloak and some money and said to himself, these things are nice. Why should they be destroyed? And he took them and hid them. (coughs) And because he broke faith, Israel suffered a major loss at their second battle in the promised land of Ai. Men died and families were broken. And there was great mourning because of the trouble this man had caused. He brought great shame upon God's name and upon God's people, great hurt to Israel. And so he's rightly labeled in 1 Chronicles 2.7, Achan, the troubler of Israel. He caused bad trouble. But there's another man given this title. 1 Kings 18.17, the wicked king Ahab comes to the prophet Elijah. Ahab was the most rebellious king up to this point. He married a pagan woman, which we read about in Nehemiah, how that can influence kings poorly. And he put the prophets of the Lord to death. He instituted Baal worship, worship of a false god throughout Israel. And God in his judgment had sent a three-year drought that was killing people and causing trouble and uh, distress. And Elijah was God's instrument in this. As we read through it, surely Ahab would be the one called troubler of Israel, since he's the one causing all this stuff through his wickedness. But instead, when Ahab meets Elijah, he calls to him and says, is it you, you troubler of Israel? He calls Elijah the troubler of Israel. In his mind, Elijah's faithfulness and righteous deeds were the source of the trouble. Instead of repenting and recognizing his own evil deeds, he conflates righteousness with evil and God's call to repentance with trouble. And so he says, Elijah, you're no better than Achan, just the trouble maker. And he's right in a way. Elijah was a troublemaker, but he was making good trouble, trouble that was meant to bring about a good and godly end. As I mentioned, I'm learning a lot about trouble and it's not all bad trouble. Recently, Lily and I got into a conversation about the Lord's Day And I explained to her that the fourth commandment requires us to rest and not work or cause others to work on the Lord's day. And Lily said to me, well, what about chores? And I said, you're you're right. Outside of what's necessary or done in mercy, we shouldn't do chores. So I'm not going to make you do any chores on the Lord's day. And if I forget, Lily, and I try to make you do chores, just tell me, Jakey, it's the Lord's day. At dinner that night, Lily told Kate that she didn't have to do chores on the Lord's Day, and Kate looked at me and said, are we going to regret that? Will this cause trouble? And it may. I can see myself or Kate getting upset about a messy room and wanting to tell Lily to clean her room on a Sunday, but her job is to cause holy and good trouble, to say, no, I'll do it first thing tomorrow, but today is the Lord's Day. It's a day of rest and worship. Our job is to steadfastly insist on obedience to God over obedience to man, though it causes us and others trouble. And that's a small example, but it's a clear expectation in the scriptures that obedience to God will cause good trouble. Think of the words of our Lord Jesus himself in Matthew 10, 21 through 22, and verse 25. He says, (coughs) brother will deliver brother over to death. 
and the father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to get death, and you will be hated by all for my namesake. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they call the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus tells us plainly, you will have trouble. Your own family might turn against you. People will malign you, call you names, hurt you, cause you trouble for your following of me. And in reality, there have been Christians throughout the millennia whose very own family, flesh and blood, have turned against them because they Christ, because they insisted on the truth, and in so doing, that caused trouble. I think of Paul and Silas in Thessalonica and the reception they received. Paul and Silas go into town, and they went to the synagogue, and Paul's reasoning with them from the scripture explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Nothing wild and crazy. They weren't throwing Molotov cocktails into pagan temples or doing anything super extreme. They were doing what we all recognize we're called to do, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and consider what happened. The Jews raised up a mob and attacked the house of Jason, one of the Christian brothers there, and drag him and other brothers in front of the town magistrates, and they say in Acts 16, or I'm sorry, Acts 17, 6 through 8, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. Just the simple proclamation of the gospel is compared to the act of turning the world upside down by these people. They say these people essentially are anarchists. They're throwing a coup. They're rebellious. They're insurrectionists. They're whatever you want, might want to say. That there's another king than Caesar. This Jesus. They're causing trouble. They're rebels. No longer just the troubler of Israel. Faithful Christians are troublers of the whole world. Turning it upside down. And church history is full of stories of missionaries and evangelists and faithful brothers and sisters who through obedience to God caused trouble for the world and in so doing caused trouble for themselves as well. Consider the apostles themselves who were <coughs> exiled and executed, hunted and hated. You can go throughout all of church history. I think one of, one of my favorites is a, a man named Boniface who caused trouble for the pagans in Germany. He was a missionary there and he had been preaching the gospel to them and saw some, some success, a little success, but even those he had um, talked to would go steal out into the woods and worship around a oak tree, Donner's Oak. And when he saw them worshiping around the sacred oak, he took an axe and began chopping it down, and a great wind came from the sky and pushed the tree over as he was chopping it. Here he was causing trouble defiling a sacred shrine, creating issues and making people upset, the troubler of the pagans. And the pagans were amazed that the gods didn't strike him and kill him. And many fully converted to Christianity, and they actually used the wood from the oak to build a chapel to the Lord. That same man, Boniface, would later be martyred himself in his missionary journeys. And we're called to cause trouble, like Elijah, like Christ, like the apostles, like our fathers and mothers in the faith to cause trouble in this world. And so, but we also should not be surprised or dismayed when we encounter trouble because of our faithfulness. 
since a certain of sparks flying upward, it's inevitable. As Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's a logical necessity here. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They will have trouble. If you do not cause trouble this year, then are you really desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus? That's part of the problem with the advice of Job's friends. They can't conceive of trouble as a good or necessary thing. And all too often we fall into the same rut. We want to avoid trouble and troubling others. But for the faithful Christian living in a fallen and sinful world, good trouble is a hallmark of faithfulness. You will have opportunities to cause good trouble this year. You will have opportunities to turn the world upside down, or at least someone's world. recently saw a post from a (coughs) false teacher who was talking about how his grandmother told him that he is going to hell, that his late grandfather and late pastoral mentor would be ashamed of him, because of how he had abandoned the faith and was promoting evil and errors, and she urged him to repent and return. And I don't know all the details, of course. I wasn't there for the conversation. But this woman caused him trouble, and rightly so, calling him back. You'll have your own opportunities to reach out to those around you with gentle words or stronger words to call to repent from evil and error and come to the truth. You'll have your own opportunities to obey God rather than men and cause trouble through your obedience. While we may have no choice of trouble from outside ourselves, we do have a choice to make the right kind of trouble. And God calls us to consider this coming year and the kind of trouble we want to get up to. Whether it's trouble from outside of ourselves or trouble we cause, good or bad, regardless, no one really likes trouble, even when it's good trouble. It's not, it's good because it's trying to produce good ends, but it's still not fun. It's hard, no matter what. But God offers hope and comfort in all our trouble. Eliphaz continues his speech with another true and helpful tidbit, though again his motivations and assumptions are wrong. He tells Job that man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward, and then says in Job 5, 8 through 9, As for me, I would seek God, and to God would I commit my cause who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Briefly, I want to speak to this and help prepare us for the trouble coming this year. When you get that dreaded diagnosis, when you hear the bad news, when there are issues and complications, when you cause good trouble, but trouble nonetheless, what should our response be? I think Eliphaz is right here. To God, I would commit my cause. What else can we go do? What else or who else is strong enough, knowledgeable enough, kind enough, good enough for all our troubles? What other refuge do we have but the goodness of our sovereign God whose steadfast love endures forever? As Psalm 73 verses 25 through 26 say, Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He is our strength and trouble and our portion forever. Nothing surprises him. Indeed, as we mentioned earlier, he has ordained whatsoever comes to pass. God already knows the troubles coming to you this year. He has planned them for you. In a way, they are a gift to you from him. Paul says in Romans 5, 
verses 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul says that we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our troubles because they are for our good and for God's glory. And so when those troubles come, our response ought to be the response of Scripture. Think of Romans 8, 31 through 39, another precious and great promise. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, all these troubles. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Not one of the troubles you face this year will separate you from the love of God and Christ Jesus, your Lord. In fact, it is through and in these troubles, Paul says, that we are shown to be more than conquerors. Your comfort, my comfort in our troubles is that God sees and God knows and God is with us. He has given us these troubles. He has called us to these troubles, and he will bring us through these troubles. And if that means we die, as Adam prayed about earlier, not even death can separate us from his love for us. The grave is no bar to his love, but rather the gateway to the fullest experience of it. So be comforted in your troubles this year. God has counted you as worthy of receiving them, and he's using them for your good and his glory, and he will see you through them. Trouble is coming this year. Sin, the curse, Satan, the Lord will all deliver unto you trouble. You're called to cause trouble this year, to desire to live godly in Christ Jesus and be one of the people turning the world upside down. You will have trouble this year, and you ought to make trouble this year, but in both, the Lord is certainly with us and will see us through it whatever may come in 2024. So let us pray now to our God, if you would join me in prayer. <coughs> Father in heaven, Lord, you are our God. Whom have we in heaven but you, and on earth there is nothing we desire apart from you. Lord, our hearts and our flesh will fail. They will. Troubles will assail us. We will be broken. We will hurt. We will be frustrated. So much will happen this year, and much of it will be troublesome. But you are our strength and our portion forever. Lord, help us to rejoice in that and help us to be strengthened by that in the midst of difficult troubles we do not choose, in the midst of the trouble we cause. Lord, help us to desire to live godly in Christ Jesus in the midst of a fallen and sinful world. Bless us in this year. Guide us and strengthen us. 
Um, may we glorify you and delight in your goodness towards us. We ask all these things in the name of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen.